reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he descended mean, except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as, is part, as each part does its work. That's the word of God. Thank you, Sylvia. Oh, feedback there. Morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good, 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 good. Did I hear a nice shirt? Thank you very much. Um, we've uh, our church has a sponsorship from Old Navy, and uh, I've been got an endorsement going on. Uh, no, it is funny. I did get a comment like that earlier today. Someone, I think Phil asked me if we had a sponsorship. No, but I, I am wearing this sweater for a reason. I know normally I don't wear like a brand. I'm not normally one to advertise up here for any um, company, and I'm not really. I'm wearing this because this is a special sweater to me. It was a, it was a Christmas gift um, to me um, from my uncle, from my aunt and uncle, and it was a Christmas gift to me in the Christmas of 1997. Look at how... I was like over 100 pounds less. I was like 95 pounds and like a foot shorter. And now I'm like 195 or none of your business or whatever pounds. And, and yeah, about six foot, just about. And, um, and somehow it fits. Well, how does it fit? Because it was way too big when I got it in 1997. Um, but also because I had to grow into it, right? I had to, uh, there was a little bit of room here that I had to grow into and, and fill out a little bit as I grew up and uh, matured. Uh, parents, I think, uh, probably know um, that experience of buying clothes a few sizes too big on purpose <laughs> because, you know, in just a few months, your kid's going to outgrow it. Any parents? Yeah? Yes. Any, any adults remember that when you were growing that quick and your parents had to do that for you? Um, today, the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians, I'm excited to be continuing our series in Ephesians, the passage that Sylvia read. Um, one of the major themes of that is maturity, maturity in the church, growing up into all that we're meant to be as the church and as individual Christians, individual members who are part of the church. And the thing about maturity is it's a process. How many know that? It's a process. It's all about where you are in the process of becoming mature, becoming who you're meant to become, becoming who God has called you to be, and whether or not you're maturing and growing in that process toward that. And, and the beautiful thing about maturity is because it's a process, you, don't, uh, you, don't, you can't judge someone just because of where they're at in the process right now. You know that? Like, it, it, you know, several of us uh, in this uh, community, we are having babies left and right, and um, we've, got, we've got brand new babies, beautiful babies, and, and we are not judging any of them that they can't speak yet or can't talk or that they're not potty trained yet 
right? Or, or another example, like a four-year-old. A four-year-old can be pretty hyperactive. I know I was, bouncing off the walls, childish, you know, uh, talking back to parents. Well, four-year-old, that kind of comes to the territory. But if you're 24-year-old and you're doing the same thing, that's when we judge a little bit, <laughs> right? Because you should be a little bit further in this process of maturity. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, he's talking about the global church and he's talking about the churches that they're part of. We need to grow up into maturity where he says in verse 13 uh, that we're going to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that that is the goal that we have as part of the church. And I'm here to say uh, this morning that we need that today. We need this today in in our church body and in the global church and the American church, um, because when we don't have it, too often the church is in the headlines for the wrong reasons. When we are not growing up into who Christ has called us to be, when we are not using the gifts that God has given us, and too often the level of immaturity that's taking place in the church indicates to the world outside of the church that we don't really have anything new to offer them. You guys, you guys tracking with me? Is that making sense? But when the, when the church is mature, when the church is growing up into who Christ has called us to be, that's when our witness to the world is at its best. And that's why it's so important, because we've got this great big calling. We've got this calling that's a few sizes too big, right? <laughs> that it might take you 21 years to grow into, right? Or more than that, just using an example. But we're called to grow into it grow into it. Y'all say that with me? Grow into it. So I just want to share from this passage um, for the rest of our time together. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at this passage and there is so much in there. I can't cover it all. And I know you guys hear that every week, but just get used to hearing it because it's Ephesians. It's so rich and, and dense and such good teaching in there. So I can't hit all of it. But what I came up with was this, six ways to grow up. So we're going to talk about growing up. You guys ready? <laughs> I got one loud no on the second. All right, that, that, that's confirmation that this is the message. All right, so six ways to grow up. Number one from this passage, know you have a gift. Know you have a gift. As this passage opens up that Sylvia was reading... The, the three verses before, I want you, I'm just going to read it because you're going to hear the difference as Paul is shifting from the unity that we have in the church and the theological basis for that unity that brings us all together. And then he shifts to the diversity of the gifts that we have as part of the church. You're going to hear it because he says the word one seven times in these short few sentences. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but to each one, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You guys hear that there? He switched from one, 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 but to each one of us. Grace has been given. And then he quotes a verse from Psalm 68, 68, 18. Um, Paul is quoting here. And it gives this image in the Psalms. It paints God in the image of a victorious king who's gone to battle and he's defeated his enemies. And then he goes up to the mountain to reign. And when he gets there, he distributes gifts. He shares the spoils that he has won in his victory. And what Paul says is Jesus has done that. When Jesus went to the cross for our sins, like we talk about a lot here, he wasn't just losing. He was actually defeating his enemies and defeating our enemies. He was defeating sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. And the way we know that is that he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So, when Paul is saying when Jesus rose again and then he ascended in victory 
to reign over all, to fill everything in the highest heavens, that everything is under his authority. And when he ascended to sit at the right hand of God, he gave out gifts to us. He gave out gifts, the spoils of victory to his people, the people who are called by his name. And the way he says it is, we've been given grace as Christ apportioned it. Christ determined every single member of the body of Christ, he gave you a specific gift. It's not something that you chose to get for yourself, or it's not something that you could kind of muster up from inside. No, if you're here and your faith is in Christ, he has given you a gift. Amen? And the way he says it is this, this uh, that Christ has uh, given us grace. Sorry, I don't want to uh, say it wrongly. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And so you may hear, hear that and say, you may think, okay, that's just grace. I know there's grace in, in the cross. And yes, he's talking about saving grace, but it's also talking about grace as in grace to do the ministry that God has called you to do. The way we know that is because in less than a chapter earlier, Paul is talking, and, and some of you guys might remember this verse in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, yet this grace was given to me that I might preach to the Gentiles the gospel of Christ. You know what he's saying that he's describing there? His ministry that defined his life when he came to Christ. So he says, this is the grace that was given me. It was ministry. And now he's saying to every single one of you who are in Christ, you are called to the ministry. I thought that was going to hit harder. <laughs> you are called. To, who is called to the ministry in this church? Sometimes we mess up our language. It's not just Vince and I. It's not just the pastors of this church. Every member of this church, every member of the global church is called to ministry. And God has given you a call to ministry that only you can fill. That's why in the, in the month of August, we spent a whole month talking about vocation, that God has called you to the place that you work, that God has called you to the relationships in your family, the friendships that you have, the people who live next door to you. God has put people in your life that no one can serve them or bless them or share hope with them or truth with them or the gospel with them like you can. Amen. So who's called to the ministry? Woo, amen. All right. Christianity is not a spectator sport. In order to grow into what God has called you to do, you need to know that God has given you a gift and you need to do your best to learn what gift God has given you. Amen? That's why, that's why we spend a lot of time trying to focus on that. I'm going to hit that on the next point. Let's just go to the next point. You guys ready? All right. First point is... Know you have a gift. Second point is like it. Know that you are a gift to be developed. Know that you are a gift. Verse 11 and 12 says this. So Christ gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, there's that theme again, that the body might grow up. And this passage, he's listing off the spiritual gifts that Christ has given the church. And there's other lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's, there's a list in Romans 12. There's two lists in 1 Corinthians 12. And um, we've got all these ways of of the scriptures communicating to us that we are uniquely given gifts by the Spirit to serve and bless the, the body at large and the people around us and minister to them. But what's interesting about this list is, is because the other list, it's almost always an ability that Christ gives you, an ability that the Holy Spirit gives you, whether it's uh, prophecy or uh, the gift of faith or you've got the gift of leadership. But what I love about this verse is that in this passage, the gifts are people. God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the gifts, the diverse gifts that Christ has given to the church is the people who are part of the church. 
And this is a, this is a list of leaders, offices that, that are known. We've got the apostles who go out and start new works. And we've got the prophets who, who, who boldly proclaim the truth of God. And you've got the pastors who are shepherds and care for people. And you've got the teachers who, who teach the, the scriptures and, and stay close to the gospel. But it's not even just the leaders in this list. Even in this passage, it, it shows us that everyone who's part of the church is a gift to the church. Verse 16 says it this way, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love it because every Christian from the leaders to the ligaments, right? Uh. (laughs) From the leaders to the ligaments are given as a gift to Christ's church. A gift that we've got to be developed. And, that, and the leaders that God develops come from within the church. You guys see that? It, it even shows us that the role of the leaders is not to do all the ministry. The, the, God never set up the church where you've got the professionals who do the ministry and you've got the lay people who pay for it. That's not how God set up the church. This shows us that the role of the leaders is not to do all the ministry, but it's to equip the people who are part of the church to recognize the gifts that God has given them for the work of ministry. You see that? Verse 12 in the ESV says it so clear. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. John Stott says, a pastor is one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. It's not the pros and amateurs. It's the priesthood of all believers. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, and and this passage really is kind of unfolding what was said in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you are his and you are trusting in him, you are called to the ministry. The metaphor that the scriptures give us here is not a pyramid with the pastor at the top. It's not a a school bus where uh, everyone's in the bus and the pastor's driving. It's a body with Christ at the head. That's why we say here all the time, who's the senior pastor of this church? Jesus Christ. Jesus is. The church needs you to be developed in the gift that God has given you. Amen? Amen. The way that God has shaped you and, and whether that looks like one of the five that's mentioned here, whether you're, you, you have the gifts of, of, of an apostle or of a prophet or of, of a teacher or, or a shepherd or, or if it's different gifts, the church needs your gift because you are a gift to the church. I love that verse 16, I know I kind of joked about it earlier, but I love that verse 16 talks about the ligaments. Because how many, when you think about a body, when I think about a a body, I normally don't think about my ligaments. I think of the organs, you know what I mean? I think of like the the heart and the lungs or the liver or something like that. But I normally don't think of the connective tissue that holds everything together. But um, it may not seem that important until you like tear an ACL. Um, Or until you, you know, roll your ankle at the church barbecue. But then the ligaments get real important. That's not a burn. That's a truth. (laughs) Your ligaments are important. They play a huge role, and the body can't even function properly if they aren't there. (laughs) Every part. I love the example, too, of in in the NFL. um, Someone alerted alerted me to this a few months ago that, uh, that, that basically, on average, the second highest paid position. So every... The highest paid position is who? Quarterback, right? Everyone knows who the quarterbacks are. Even if you don't pay attention to football, you know their names, right? But the sec- typically, the second highest paid position on average throughout the league is the left tackle. And maybe some of you who are NFL fans can like name off a few, but most of us don't even know who they are because they 
typically never score a touchdown. You don't see them like doing big runs. No, their, their, their whole job is to block, right? And they're protecting the quarterback so the quarterback can do what he's there for. And I love, that's a beautiful picture to me of how important all the parts of the body are. Because you got, you got these guys who like, they can play their whole career and I would never know their name, but they made a lot more money than most of the other guys on the team because <laughs> of how important their role was. If we're going to grow up, you've got to know that you're meant to be a gift to the church in the way that God has shaped you for ministry. It's one of the reasons why, you know, this was our theme in the last year as, uh, as we talked about equip. And actually, it's actually this shirt. I'm not going to take anything off. <laughs> There's no other object lessons that I'm wearing today. But this equip shirt is based on Ephesians 4.12 that we're talking about today. And that's the reason we did all those equip classes and those shape classes to help, help, help each one of us that are part of this church learn how God has shaped you to serve in the work of ministry of the church. And that's why we're going to keep doing it because that's what we're called to do in the church. All right, so you got to know you have a gift. you got to know you are a gift to be developed. Third way to grow up um, is this, to strive for unity. Strive for unity. Verse 12, just, I'm just going straight along in the passage so you can uh, read along with me. Verse 12 uh, uh, carries on into 13, says this, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many know unity is important in the church. The last passage um, that Dale, Dale preached on and did a great job last week talking about the unity that we're called to and, and, the, and the, um, the basis for that unity in God. But verse 3 says this, of this same chapter, says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Yeah, This is not like a Okay, I tried once for unity. No, make every effort. And it also indicates it takes effort, right? But, but the other thing it says is that you're not making up this unity. It says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's a unity that's been given to you. Well, now here in verse 13, it says this, that, that, we're gonna, that the body's going to grow up. And then it says, until we all reach unity, in verse 3, it's a given. You have unity. In verse 13, it's a goal. You, you, it's our goal to be reaching unity. Do you see what's happening there? How can that be? Because the Christian life so much is, is, is about becoming who we already are in Christ. That we have been given this identity, and now we've been called to live like it's true. Like verse 1 of this chapter says, uh, he says, therefore, I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord to live a life worthy of the call you have received. You've received a call. It's yours in Christ. Now the challenge is to live like it's true, to work it out, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God, help us. God, help us to realize that you've given us a unity in Christ, but that our goal is also unity in Christ. How many know unity is hard? <laughs> Mm. Here's why unity is so important. The way that Christians treat each other is meant to be our main witness to the world. It's meant to be that. I didn't say it is that because sometimes it's not. But it's meant to be that. That's why Jesus said the last night he was with his disciples by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 35. And we've already seen, if you've been here during this series, you've already seen it in Ephesians, just how close this is to God's heart. If you go in chapter 2 and 3, you, you really see where Paul lays it out. And he says, the gospel has brought together hostile groups. Groups who, outside of this truth, this message of Jesus Christ and his reconciliation, they wouldn't be hanging out because there's no reason for them to hang out. 
It says that they were hostile toward each other, that they looked down at each other, and that they had actual reasons for beef with each other. And yet, because of the gospel, that, that it says that Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. That on his body on the cross, he put to death our hostility. And, and so that's why in chapter 3, it says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the multiply multicolored wisdom of God is made manifest through the church. It's made known to the rulers and the powers, even spiritual powers. Look at the church and understand what God is like because he's brought together this diverse group that there's no, that doesn't make sense. And the spiritual powers of darkness are like they are crossing every barrier that we put to put division and yet they're unified because of Christ. And that's what we've been given in the gospel. And that's what he says in verse three, you've got you've to make every effort to keep that unity. And so we've seen how important it is in the diversity of the church and how hard it is to maintain that unity because you are seeking justice in that effort to keep unity. But in this passage, it's, it's highlighting not just the diversity that's within the global church and in the local church, it's actually highlighting the diversity of the gifts that God has given us. And what's interesting to me about this is, is when you think about it, often the reasons for division that exist in the church have to do with not recognizing the gifts that God has given other people. You might be saying the same thing, but because it's coming from a different gifting, just go over there. <laughs> you have your congregation, we'll have ours. We see it this way. We like good teaching. Well, we believe in prophecy. Oh, we believe in these gifts. Oh, we don't have those gifts. Bloop. Right? We like this music, and we're really good at it. We can hardly even sing music. Bloop. <laughs> it's so easy to divide over the simple fact of not recognizing the gifts and I'm, I'm bringing up funny examples, but there's serious examples too. And I don't even think I have to go down the line because the list is too long. But you guys are probably with me. I'm guessing that you're with me. I was thinking about this. It's, it's kind of like the, 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 the Yanni versus Laurel sound that went viral in the last year. I don't know if anyone heard that. You, you listen to a little sound clip and like one person thinks it's Yanni and then the other person thinks it's Laurel, Laurel. And then if you listen to it long enough, you can think it's both of them. I, um, I'm not just going crazy up here. What I'm saying is sometimes because of the gifts that God has made you to the church, the gifts that he's given you and the way he, that he's shaped you, you might be sharing the same truth, but it sounds completely different to someone else who loves Jesus and loves the gospel, but is shaped in a different way. And so what do we do in those instances? We've got to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We've got to realize that even though we've been given unity, it's still our goal. Amen? I think about that in the history of the, of, of, of the church, in the recent history of the church, the Pentecostal movement. About 115 years ago, um, uh, th there's a revival at Azusa Street, Los Angeles, breaks out. And, and you know what happens? Because a lot of the church in, in the U.S. And, and kind of the church all over the world, they weren't ready for that. And they said, no, you guys go over there, do your own thing. And, and yet God, and yes, there was some crazy stuff going on. I get it. But God was doing some stuff too. And now you look across the world and all those main denominations that said, no, they've got elements of charismatic gifts in their churches. We find reasons to divide when, when God is saying your, your goal should be unity. Amen, and I'll move on. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> I got to ask it this way. If you find it completely easy to disassociate from other Christian brothers and sisters, I have to ask, have you made every effort? Have you made every effort to keep the unity of the spirit that Jesus died to give us? If you're here today and there are people in this church body that you don't consider a brother or sister, is unity of the faith your goal? Is it? I've got to ask it. I've got to ask it of myself. I've got to ask it of how easy it is for me to just divide, sever, cut the ties, 
If it was a body, it's just like cutting off an arm and saying, good luck. (laughs) Have fun over there. Do your thing. (laughs) That's grotesque. Um, I wanted to share an example from from the early church. Uh, A person named Alan Kreider wrote uh, an article on worship and evangelism in pre-Christendom. So this is the early church, the first three centuries before it became the legal religion of the Roman Empire. And, And he's talking about how the church survived and not just survived, but even thrived and expanded in a culture that wanted nothing to do with it. When the emperors would would kill and persecute and openly kill Christians, how did Christianity grow so much? And as he's answering that question, one of the things that he he, he talks about in the article that really stood out to me is is a, a part of the worship service as early as the first and second centuries in the church called the kiss of peace. That the early Christians would do. And often you gotta remember they're they're meeting in secret for fear of persecution. And um, they're gathering, they're praying, they're hearing the word. And after the sermon and before the communion would be offered, the bread and the wine, what they would do is they would have a time of reconciliation. A deacon would stand up and say, is there anyone who is keeping aught against his fellow? Which basically is saying, is there anyone here who has beef with a brother or sister here? And most people, most people, we're living in reconciliation and they would exchange the kiss of peace, right? But if somebody was there and they had beef and they hadn't been reconciled, the bishop would come to them and bring them together and they would reconcile there. They would pray and they would talk and they would reconcile there before they took communion. Because they said, we do not call them brothers until peace has been made between them. They were convinced that their worship, this is what Alan Kreider says, they were convinced that their worship would not be valid if their relationships were broken. The Christian community only had something novel to offer the world when it was at peace. In other words, they're saying, how can we go and receive the peace of Christ when we're denying the peace of Christ to our brothers? I'm just going to let that sit because that hits me. That hits me. Far be it from me, far be it from me to look for ways to divide. Far be it from me to not make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Because that's how the body grows, amen? And that's how we grow. Fourth way to grow, you guys ready? How am I doing on time? All right. All day, you might have made some people mad right now. (laughs) Fourth way to grow up from the passage, contend for truth. Contend for truth. Verse 14 says this. You can read it with me. Paul describes, gives a, a picture of what immaturity looks like in Christian lives and in the church. He says this. Then we will no longer be infants, Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Paul gives us these mixed metaphors (laughs) that involve like babies and waves and wind (laughs) and being tossed back and forth in the waves and blown here and there by every wave of doctrine, every, every new thing that sounds like it makes sense, but it's not in line with the teaching of the gospel. What Paul was saying is immaturity in the church looks like this. It looks like instability about the truth. It looks like instability about what the truth is. And that's why he uses the picture of, of infants, of Babies, because we know kids can be gullible. How many know that? How many know you were gullible as a kid? I'm going to share an embarrassing example. You ready for that? Um, so I was about nine years old. This is an example of something I fell for as a kid. About nine years old, helping my big sister move to college. We have uh, the whole family's helping. We have the U-Haul loaded up, the orange U-Haul kind of half van, half truck thing, you know? And... Um, we're about to hop in and make the two and a half hour drive to her campus. And, and right as we're getting in, I see a sign 
right next to the door that says, um, watch out for canopies. Watch out for canopies. 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 Watch out. <laughs> you know, because it's a, it's a tall van, right? So they don't want you to, right? Well, I'm like, watch out for canopies. So I just, <laughs> I asked my brother and my dad, dad, what's a canopy? We got to watch out. There's like a sign on the door. You got to watch for canopies. And, uh, you know, my brother and dad just lovingly told me the truth. And no, they did not. No, no, no. No, a, a canopy, I found out that day, a canopy is a cross between a jackrabbit and a kangaroo. They're mostly purple in color. And they are attracted to the color orange, which is found on U-Haul trucks. So when you're driving down the highway, you have to watch out because you'll be going 65 and canopies will come out of nowhere and just come right in front of the truck. And then you damage the truck and then you have to pay to fix it. So, so Kenny, would you help us watch for canopies this whole two and a half hour drive? Yes, I would. Like... Just glued. Oh, never forgotten that lesson. Yeah, Arkansas. I also had another one where I believe that the man who played Jesus in our Easter play at church actually was Jesus. <laughs> And I wanted to go meet him after the play. And I did. And so I got to meet Jesus. And, you know, strangely, he looked just like our drummer. But I was so glad that Jesus came to Fort Smith, Arkansas to be in our Easter play in the early 90s. So here's the thing. Those things are cute when you're a kid, right? It's cute. But when you're older, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You look back and like, I believed that? I, I fell for that. Paul is tying that gullibility to what it means to grow into maturity. We've got to know what the truth of the gospel is as a church. We're never going to grow up if we aren't clear on what the gospel is. If we aren't contending for it, like Jude 3 says, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the apostles' doctrine. He's talking about the scriptures. He's not talking about theological hair splitting and trying to determine how many angels can fit on the pen of a needlehead. He's not talking about that. He's talking about keeping the gospel at the center. That's why he says, just, just ahead of this, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's why he says in Galatians 1, it says this, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, right, so he's including himself here, the apostle Paul, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul just went there. If an angel comes up right here today and starts preaching to you something other than Jesus crucified and him risen again to set us free from sin and to save us and give us the hope of eternal life, if, even, if a, mm, even if an angel comes here and preaches that today, let him be under God's curse. We don't have the freedom to rewrite the Bible, church. We don't have the freedom to rewrite the gospel. Yes, we always need to know what it means for our culture and our time and our place, but we don't have the right or the freedom to let go of the truth as it's been revealed. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. If it's not, I'll, I'll turn in my card and I'll quit preaching. Because what am I doing up here? If I'm up here telling you my opinion, don't listen. 
But if I'm up here preaching God's word and saying we have to submit to it, we don't come over it and look down on it. We come under it because the Bible is the only book that reads us. Part of growing up is knowing what the truth is. Celebrating unity doesn't mean celebrating heresy. There are things worth dividing over. When you start losing the gospel, that's worth dividing over. Because Paul says, if someone's preaching a different gospel, don't listen. Don't say, oh, that sounds nice. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that, that fits my sensibilities. I don't have a corner on truth. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the gospel does, and we've got to submit to it, and we've got to find how it continually speaks to us. And that's why we've got to contend for the truth in the spirit of unity. Amen? Amen. Fifth point. All right, we're going to contend for the truth. Fifth way to grow up, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Verse 15, I think, really sums up the passage when it says this. Instead, so he's saying instead of the immaturity, instead of being tossed around with everything new that sounds true, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I love that phrase because it's a promise. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow. It's not an option at that point. (laughs) If we're working on this, if we're working on speaking the truth in love, and you need both, amen? Amen. It's often easy for us as individuals to just kind of center on one or the other, depending on how you're gifted by God or depending on just how you naturally lean. And it's even, even for certain denominations, it's easy to lean on one to the other, but we need both because when the church loses truth, it ceases to be the church. And when the church loses love, it ceases to be the church. Got a quote from Warren Wearsby. I think I'm skipping down a bit. And he says it this way, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. How many have ever just been beat up with the truth before? (laughs) I'll confess that I've beat people up with the truth. Maybe someone's just sharing something that they're struggling with, and I'm like, well, hey, what aren't you believing about God? Here it is. Bam, bam, bam. And maybe everything I said was true, and I have a verse behind it, whether it's in context or not. But maybe it's true, but that person in that moment is not feeling a lot of love, are they? But on the other hand, we can, we can veer to the other side of like, well, Jesus said God is love, and we just need to be loving. And, and we'll abandon the truth thinking that we're doing it for the sake of love. But can I tell you, if that's what you're doing, you are abandoning love itself. If you're not sharing the truth, that's not loving. I don't care how it feels. It's not loving. John Stott says it this way, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love and love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. If we're going to grow up and mature and be all that God has called us to be as individuals and as the church, we've got to be people who confess the truth as God has revealed it and who live the truth in so much love that people can scarcely deny it. Woo! Okay, I'll see if I can. I don't know if it's written down. No, I'm just kidding. If we're going to grow up, we've got to become people who confess the truth as God has revealed it, but also live it with so much love that people can scarcely deny it. When they look at our lives, they might say, look how they love one another. We don't do it Perfectly. Anyone going to admit that with me? We don't do it perfectly, 
And as much as we need this in order to grow, a lot of the times we don't, it's not that we don't do it perfectly, we just don't even do it well. <laughs> we, we do it poorly or we just don't do it. If you're honest with me, because I'll confess that. But there is hope for us. And that's the last way that we grow. And the way the, the passage says it is this, stay connected to the head. Stay connected to Christ. We're a body. We're a body and he is the head. Verse 16, we read it earlier. It says this, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know what our hope is in that? is not only that Christ is calling us to do it and that it's a good thing to do, it's that he already did it himself and he showed it to us in his life. He embodied the truth in love. Amen? He's the one who people were willing to come as they were. He's the one who, who people were, sinners were willing to hang out with him and he was willing to hang out with sinners. And, and religious people called him out on it. And you know, on the other side, he also said, be ye holy for, as I am holy. <laughs> that he hung out with sinners and he forgave sins and he told them to sin no more. He went over to dinner with Pharisees, the most righteous of the righteous, and then he went out with tax collectors, the most hated. I can't talk. <laughs> the most hated people. He touched lepers who no one else would touch. And he healed centurion's daughters. A centurion was for the Roman army that was oppressing Israel. And he healed a centurion's daughter. And we see it the most. <laughs> we see it the most in the cross where truth and love meet. The greatest meeting of truth and love. The hard truth that your sin deserved death. That you and I deserved death. That when we see him on the cross, giving his blood, breathing his last, the hard truth of that is, the hard truthfulness of the Christian message and the offense of the gospel is that you need a savior. Because everything in us says, no, I got this. I'm good. I'll take the fruit that I need and I'll go from there. And the cross says, no, you need a savior. Your sin is so great that it took the son of God himself coming in flesh to die for you, for your sin. And yet the, the bursting love that Christ was willing to go up on that cross, that he loves you that much, that he loved you that much to do it, that, that not only is there um, radical truthfulness about your situation, but there's radical, unconditional commitment of God to you. That's what we see in the cross. And it's only when we stay connected to him and we're reminded of, of him embodying truth and living in love and dying to give us that truth and love that we are going to be encouraged, that we are going to have our motivation, that we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to have this unity as our goal. Amen? It's not easy, <laughs> but it's needed. It's necessary. It's needed for this church. It's needed for this city. It's needed for the people who know you. It's needed for the people who are going to see you this week. We need, we need the grace of God to help us grow into all that he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close with some words from a hymn from Isaac Watts, published in 1707. It says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. Gracious Father, we thank you so much 
the opportunity to gather with your people. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that this is a, this is a community, this is a group of people who have found their identity in you. Or that we are brought here together by the good news of Jesus. That we are sustained through the trials and tribulations we face by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that this is a community that is being shaped by your word and by your truth. God, I pray that this message today from your word would be an encouraging one. God, I pray that we be reminded of the good plans, the hope, and the future that you have for us, God. That everyone who's here, those who are going through incredibly tough times that they've never faced before, and those who maybe just made it through the week and they don't even know what happened, it just kind of went by like that. Lord, I pray that you would put a vision of, of the beauty that you've called us to, Lord. You really have called us to something so beautiful, Lord, that we can, I can scarcely describe it, Lord, but when we get a picture of it, when we get a picture of it in you on the cross, Lord, giving of yourself, loving us to death, and then loving us back to life, Lord, that changes us. And so I, I just call out to you, Lord. I cry, cry out, Holy Spirit, change my heart, change my life. So many ways I've been defective and deficient in every single point that I preach today, Lord. And there may be others here who are feeling guilt and shame and maybe they're feeling burdened down. Lord, I just pray for an encouraging word from you, Holy Spirit, to resonate deep in each and every heart. God, I pray that as we respond to your word today, we would be filled with hope, Lord. You said that speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We will grow. We will become mature. We will grow into all that you've called us to be. Let that be a message of hope, God, that you, you keep your promises. You do not forget your promises. You finish the work that you have started in us, God. Let us be assured of it today. I pray for every single person of the sound of my voice to hear and receive that encouragement, God. And I pray for those uh, who are here who may not uh, yet trust in you. I pray that you would awaken faith, God. You would awaken conviction to turn from sin, to turn from living from self, and to turn towards living for you and to invite you as Lord of their lives and Savior of their lives. Pray that they would be filled with the Spirit. Remind us of all these things. We love you. We thank you so much. We ask that you do what only you can do in these next few minutes. In the lovely name of Jesus, the church says, amen.